It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We appreciate you downloading us and giving us a listen as we talk about week two of the 2016 Division Three football season, the Around the Nation podcast for September 12th, 2016. I'm Pat Coleman, and if you're 0-2 at this point of the season, two weeks in, yeah, yeah, you've lost a couple of games, and, you, and you've also lost some of these things. Let me, uh, let me start with a laundry list. Uh, number one. Okay, yeah, you gave up your chance at an unbeaten season. That's probably pretty obvious, but, uh, you know, there are some teams who are 0-2 right now for whom a 9-0 or 10-0 run was very possible this season. So that is not a, uh, that's not a small item. Number two, uh, you've lost your chance at getting an at-large bid to the NCAA playoffs. Yeah, I know we're talking about at-large bids in week two, but at this point, even if one of your losses is in conference and you're already chasing a game to get to the automatic bid, you might be out of luck. At number three, You've given up your chance at a home playoff game almost for certain. Franklin, from last year aside, if one of your losses is to a scholarship school, then yeah, you can put an asterisk on what I just said. And as I welcome in the color analyst to my play-by-play guy, that's Keith McMillan. I'm checking, uh, did I miss anything big here today? Well, the main thing that uh, that D3 teams, especially conference uh, teams, haven't lost is a, is a chance at the automatic bid, and that's why coaches like this system. And that's why, you know, it's kind of fun for us uh, observing from where we observe from and for fans who are following along is that you get to have these games uh, earlier in the season, more in week one and, and next week coming up than there were this week. But these great um, non-conference clashes between good teams because they can afford to take that game on. In fact, a lot of, a lot of coaches like to take that game on and, uh, and, and have that early season test because even if you lose one or two games early, um, as, you know, as long as you, you sweep through your conference or you, you know, win somehow on a, on a tiebreaker or whatever that, um, you know, as long as you win that conference uh, automatic bid, then you're in the playoffs and, and it's a fresh season from there. But I think the other thing that's important for us to note here at this point um, in the podcast is that, you know, teams, if they're 0-1, 0-2, you know, it's important not to lose sight of the big picture. And, uh, you know, I think we, as a player, especially as a coach, you know, you're so kind of hyper-focused. You have tunnel vision on your own team. And I remember, uh, you know, even all going on 20 years now um, since I played, I just remember the, the mentality as a player. You, you almost don't ever believe you're going to lose until, like, you're mathematically, wow, we're really not going to win this game. And then even um, after you lose, you kind of have that kind of maybe a day or at least that same evening of bargaining, like, ah, we shouldn't, we shouldn't have lost that game. We're better than that team. How do we lose that game? And I think when you get to a, to a point, especially in a season where you had designs on, on having a really good season, whether it was 10-0 and 0 or whatever the case may be, and you've lost one or you lost two, it is important to pull back and, and A, not give up on the, on the rest of the games. You know, you can only play. You can't get those two losses back right away. You just got to get next week back. But also, too, that, uh, as we mentioned, for a lot of these teams, um, you know, conference play is still – ahead and uh and you know you can you can make a lot of noise you can you can still salvage your season there so uh so yeah you know you you may have lost a game or two but don't lose sight of the big picture keith uh talking about the what sounded like the five stages of grief after a loss there uh that might be a fodder for a whole extra podcast um now say you're surprisingly two and oh after two weeks 
uh, congrats. Uh, you've got a little momentum, and that's great, but you know, you haven't won anything yet. Uh, that is to say, unless you've gotten a rivalry trophy, uh, once you win one of, yours, uh, one of those, it's yours to keep. But no, there's no prizes for starting 2-0, and you don't get to hang a banner for being ranked in the top 25 on September 12th. But if you do, we'll look for it on Instagram. Uh, the vast majority of D3 teams haven't played a single conference game yet. Nonetheless, for a handful of teams, going 2-0 is a big deal, and it's a great start to the season, Keith. Yeah, here are a couple of teams that, that I think 2-0 is a big deal for. Uh, Carthage, big win uh, against Bethel on Saturday. Christopher Newport, same deal. They beat uh, Hampton-Sydney. Uh, Plymouth State, two wins last season. They're already 2-0. St. Vincent, um, you know, eight wins, I think, the past four seasons. They're 2-0 this season, so that's a, that's a pretty big deal for them. And Central, of course, uh, getting off to a good start uh, with that big win last week out at uh, Whitworth when they went for two and won 50-49. Those are some surprise 2-0s, and, and we'll probably think of a few more as we go through the podcast here. And a couple of teams that are kind of surprisingly 0-2, uh, Albright, which uh, won the MAC last season and, uh, and you know, ha- has a tough start. We knew it was going to be tough with, uh, with Salisbury and Stevenson out the, out of the gate, but I'm sure they didn't plan on being 0-2. Bethel, I think, is is really surprising, especially since that was a 12-win team not all that long ago. Hampton Sydney, uh, probably the a prime example of a team that's off to an uh, you know an 0 and 2 start, but still has conference play ahead of it. And Texas Lutheran, um, you know, with the East Texas Baptist loss last week, we kind of ex- anticipated uh, Mary Harden Baylor on Saturday, and uh, you know that was a close game for a while. I got to watch uh, a good portion of it because it was a night game. But um, but Mary Harden Baylor really just kind of poured it on, pulled away at the end, and that's kind of what they do. They wear you down over the course of a game, and so for Texas Lutheran with no automatic bid to chase, that's a team that's really in the hole at 0-2. I had to uh, restrict myself from pounding on the desk as uh, you start talking about Mary Harden Baylor because I'm really excited to go down there uh, next weekend as they face Linfield. But we've got uh, a lot of things to talk about before we get to talk about next week. Um, so let's talk about uh, one more thing that these 2-0 teams have accomplished, uh, and they've improved the strength of schedule of everyone in their conference. Uh, I know this is getting into the math, um, but Central, for example, two non-conference wins. They beat Whitworth, as you mentioned. They beat Augustana this week. And so that, rather than a 1-1 or 0-2, makes Dubuque's end-of-season strength of schedule look better, as does Wartburg's, for example. And Dubuque, 2-0, that helps Central, that helps Wartburg, or anybody else who might be on the table from the Iowa uh, Intercollegiate Athletic Conference or you know, might be uh, battling for a, uh, a playoff seed as an automatic bid against somebody else. Uh, all of that stuff helps. And if you're a conference that, you know, like the Heartland, which has won as few as two non-conference games in the past, uh, won five non-conference games so far this year, um, you know, every little bit helps. Maybe not that little a little bit, but, uh, you know, for a, a conference like the Iowa Conference to face uh, teams that have done really well in the non-conference schedule really helps give them a boost. Yeah, we're mentioning strength of schedule in mid-September and, and, and at-large games, at-large playoff spots. Uh, you know, but hey, but jokes aside, uh, these games do count as much as late-season games when it comes to strength of schedule and a few wins from members of your conference teams you normally would would prefer to root against. Those uh, those games can actually really tip the scales later in November when it comes down to those uh, those decimal points uh, and when when we're talking at-large bids. 
We're taking a break here in just a moment, but before we go, I have to tell one really quick story that actually isn't related to anything that happened on the field this week. But um, if you'll pardon me, uh, I'm going to set my uh, uh, I'm going to set my two minute alarm here for a quick aside. Um, I had uh, I had the opportunity this week to. Uh, I guess take over the collection of a guy who did uh, some of the things that you and I do, Keith. A uh, guy's name is Craig Burroughs. He used to write for Don Hansen's Football Gazette, which if you haven't heard of Don Hansen's Football Gazette, you're probably under the age of 35. And uh, that was a, uh, a print newsletter that uh, covered Division Three before we came around. Um, Craig was a guy who just would get in the car and drive and see as many games as he possibly could in any, any given weekend, whether it was a, a D3 game, D2, FCS, sprint football, JV games. He would see it all, and he, would, uh, he, had, this col- he had this collection of just paraphernalia, not just like, you know, things like media guides, programs, game stats, f- uh, fax sheets, uh, um, what am I uh, like roller bags from BCS bowl games? Um, so his, uh, he died a couple of years ago. His uh, uh, his widow Sandra Burroughs kind of contacted me out of the blue almost a year ago and said, "I have this whole collection of stuff. Would you be interested in taking it?" And I thought about it for a second. Um, but I, I've met Craig at several games. Um, you know, because like I said, Craig and I tried to do some of the same things. I saw him at uh, Dome Day for the UMAC when he saw five games in a day at the Metrodome, and so did I. Met him at a Friday night game at Johns Hopkins, that sort of thing. So I really felt like I had a connection to this guy. And, uh, you know, uh, Sandra, his wife, was very grateful for uh, for me taking this stuff. Now, I have uh, a, a, a huge... Uh, set of boxes in my garage of things that I'm going to go through. But uh, I found, like, uh, media guides from 1998. I found a media guide that I worked on uh, for Catholic <laughs> in 1997. And I know, yeah, my time is running out. But uh, I'm looking forward to kind of pawing through that collection here over the course of the, uh, well, maybe next off season. Hey, pretty good timing. But, you know, I will say that I had a collection uh, at least a shelf or two devoted on a bookshelf to media guides. And those were all really helpful when we started doing this. And I uh, got rid of those, I don't know, five years ago maybe, um, because so much of the stuff is online now and it, it was so helpful. But I always felt like, uh, you know, when I was getting rid of it, I was, I was getting rid of a book that somebody out there would, would like to have. And it was just, you know, just too much trouble to, to keep all of it. But um it's interesting. I mean, you you really could pack up a bunch of stuff uh, if you took one thing from every game you've been to. Uh, I had to get rid of my collection in about 2008 when I uh, moved cross country. It just was not. It was too much for me to handle. It was not too much for Craig to keep uh, control of. And I, like I said, I'll try to keep. I'll try to be a good steward of the, at least the D3 portion of that collection. I'd like to take this time to mention that the Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by, well. Yes, still nobody. Uh, you could be reaching an audience full of D3 decision makers, coaches who need new equipment, who can influence decisions to replace turf. That's a, you know, turf is a big expense. There's a lot of money in that. Uh, all sorts of things by sponsoring the Around the Nation podcast. Keith and I would be waxing poetic about your product right here before we went to break. So think about it and drop me an email at uh, pat.coleman at d3sports.com. There were more than 700 unique listens to our previous podcast, and that's just in one week compared to all those uh, monthly totals we've been sharing previously. You are missing out. Keith, you specifically, you're missing out. Oh, I didn't realize you were talking to me. I just thought it was general. 
All right, back on the Around the Nation podcast, it's time to talk about our game balls. And for me, for my game ball, I mean, other than Adam Turr, because Adam, who's our Around the Nation columnist, was really D3Football.com's Player of the Week on Saturday and on Sunday, too. But uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit, because uh, since this is generally a reference to somebody who actually played in a Division Three football game this particular week, I'm going to go with Utica sophomore defensive back Matt Stone. He took the deflected pass 83 yards to the house to begin the 21-point rally that gave Utica its upset win versus Ohio Northern. I think we might talk about this game a little bit. Yeah, Pat, uh, may, uh, this is uh, stunning to me. We picked the same game but different players, and I'm pretty sure that's never happened before in, uh, since we've gone to the, the game ball format during the podcast. Look, e- even after the Matt Stone pick, which really was more of an ill-advised Ohio Northern pass, uh, Teddy Van Galen, which, by the way, one of my favorite names in D3. Um, he went six for nine to lead the Pioneers to a touchdown with a minute 43 left. Then uh, they burned all their timeouts, got a stop, and were able to get the ball back with a minute 13 left. Van Galen ran for 33 yards. Then through the game winner later in that drive with 15 seconds left, he was nine of 16 on the final two drives for 116 yards and one big clutch finish. Of course, big assist to uh, Sean Marchant and the rest of the receiving group. The Matt Stone interception gave them life. It was uh, 30, 30 to 10, I think, at the point, uh, or 30 to 13 yeah. uh, before the pick. And then the pick made it 30-20. So they still trailed by 10, and they needed the quarterback to lead the big heroics. And can you believe this, Pat? <laughs> Me going for the offensive guy over the defensive guy. What is the world coming to Hey, you know, each of us are capable of seeing, uh, uh, working across the aisle, right? In this uh, time of political turmoil, there should not be political turmoil in Division Three football, at least not until Selection Sunday. Uh, let's see, my team on the rise. Uh, some great uh, possibilities out there this week, but I'm going to spotlight someone who should be higher, or at least higher compared, perhaps, to the team that it beat this week, and that's Monmouth. Someone who I think should be at least on par with Wartburg in terms of uh, points in the top 25 poll. I know I advise people all the time not to get worked out, uh, worked up about teams with a handful of points at the bottom of the others receiving votes in our poll. But here I am doing the exact same thing. Uh, Wartburg only lost by seven, 29-22. But the Knights had to go to two-minute drill just to get to seven with 22 seconds left. There's one outlier voter who appears to be voting for Warburg on the basis of the 2014 national quarterfinals. Sorry about the rant, but this one bothers me. Well, uh, for a riser, I didn't have a lot of movement on my ballot, actually, so it was hard to find a riser. But I did give Wheaton its top 10 spot back after the 60-6 win against Kalamazoo. And more importantly, it was less a reflection of that week two result and more uh, a reflection of getting that extra information about the team Wheaton beat back in week one, just 26 to seven. Benedictine beat St. Norbert in week two by 20, and it turns out they might be pretty good under Josiah Sears, the former Wheaton defensive coordinator. So only beating Benedictine by that margin in week one already looks different enough to me to go back and uh, reevaluate how I had things. And if you're a top 25 voter or a top 25 poll observer, this is what you should be doing. You should be reevaluating things, especially we've only had two weeks of games. Why would we ignore one of them? Uh, You know, something happened to make Benedictine look uh, better than they did the week before. Uh, When we talk about teams that take a fall, uh, we're going to talk about the exact same opposite, the exact same thing, except it's the opposite. Um, for example, it's John Carroll, who's my team that take a fall. Uh, they slipped a bit this week, partially because of some things that happened around them, partially because of what Stevenson did. Of course, uh, Stevenson, as uh, Keith mentioned earlier, uh, beat Albright. They won their way into the poll and helped 
push John Carroll down a little bit, but I wonder if Ohio Northern losing to a, a team that uh, you know we didn't have on the radar in terms of top 25 votes, probably wasn't someone considered to be one of the top teams in the Empire 8, might not have changed perception of the Ohio Athletic Conference in general and maybe helped slide John Carroll just a little bit further down, enough to get them out of the top 25 entirely. You know, I had uh, John Carroll still at the at the very back end of my top 25, and I didn't have Ohio Northern on my ballot, so although they fell out of the top 25, uh, the general top 25 this week, they weren't a faller for me on my ballot. I did drop Franklin, number 20 for me last week, and number 22 in the poll uh, after a win over Thomas Moore in week one. I dropped them out after a 59-14 loss to Butler. I'm a little conflicted about it, of course, because I know it's an FCS non-scholarship program. It's not really a fair fight. Franklin just likes to take that game because it's, uh, you know, we talked about it in the offseason podcast. So if you're a listener, you know why they took that game. Uh, and if you're not, you're missing out. Um, you know, so it's not it's not really a fair fight. It, w- it was at one point a, a 28-14 game uh, in the second quarter. Franklin was sort of hanging with Butler, but uh, but it's so early in the season. I think there are teams that deserve the spot, and so uh, so with Franklin losing, I moved W and J in, and I'll get some clarity there uh, next week since the presidents play pack rival Thomas Moore, and they have the uh, common result with, uh, with Franklin. Yeah, you know, Ohio Northern wasn't on my ballot either. Uh, We'll be talking even more about this game in just a moment, uh, but, you know, we're allowed to since it's September. Neither team wears purple. Van Galen with the defense showing blitz. Back to throw. Over the middle. It is caught. Touchdown. Touchdown. Pioneers. Sean Marchand, his second touchdown reception of the day. Ray Biggs on the call. That That's Ray Biggs of D3Hockey.com, by the way. He also calls Utica football games for ESPN Radio Utica Rome, and that is how we're leading into our interview this segment this week. And we jump into a conversation that Around the Nation columnist Adam Turr had with Utica's Blaze Fagiano after Utica's 34-30 win versus Ohio Northern. The way you guys won, I mean, to come back in the fourth quarter, do you think there were lessons that, you know, those upperclassmen directly learned from those close losses last late last year that, you know, allowed them to kind of have the mentality to come back the way you did yesterday? No doubt. You know, it, 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 something's got to happen, right? Like, oh, man, it's, it's hot. It's the second half. We're down 30 to 13. Like, oh, you know, something's got to happen. And um, we had a freshman step up. We actually had to speak in the team meeting the night before on the defensive meeting. Special young man, Jack Derby. Out of town to Fultonville, someone we, that we recruited and we felt could, could help us. And uh, he spoke the night before about having confidence and that we were going to go and win the game and find a way to win. And it didn't sound like a freshman. So he's the one who tips the pass to Matt Stone. We're rotating three corners. We're confident in three corners. Matt happens to be in at the time. And, uh, I, mean, I didn't realize how long it was to the game. He's three yard return. And all of a sudden, now we're looking at it. Now we're right back in the game. And, um, you know, just a confidence from our staff. I'm like, okay, I think all the kids can hear me on the side. I'm like, all right, we got two two-minute drills to win this thing. Okay. You know, <laughs> I go, we're going to go outside kick. And then, like, you know, then we're glad we have all our timeouts. There's so many things to learn from it. And it's not often that you can play poorly and, and win against a really good team. I've got a lot of respect for how Northern and our guys do. You know, like, you know, going out to their place there last year's a great game. Um, they have a tradition that's first-class tradition where they, they say a prayer on the 15th. 
in, in, I guess in the past, they had, they had lost a coach, and they started that tradition. And so after last year's game, after this year's game, see both teams come together, you know, on the, on this year on the moose, you know, and uh, and have that team prayer together. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's too bad that they're you know, too far away, you know, and, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, but I, you know, a couple things come to my mind, you know, as I wake up today, and one of them, it's tough, you know, you talk about, all right, scheduling, you know, and uh, it really does, I mean, really what scheduling tells you is just get a regional opponent regardless of the record, because a regional win is big, regardless of the record. And so some people are like, you know, why are you playing Ohio and Oregon? You know, well, part of it's because Empire 8 in general has a hard time not scheduling non-conference games, you know. But, um, you know, we had, a, we had a great trip out there last year. I and mean, it's only it's only a two-year deal, you know. And because uh, I think we're, we're, you know, they found someone else closer. And, and then, you know, we're not, I think we're two hours closer, but we're playing Catholic, I guess, in a couple of years. So, <laughs> so you know, it, it's a great, I mean, a great program. You know, the running back is very good. They're, I mean, I think they're, they're picked to do very well in OSC, which I imagine. And, uh, you know, but like I said, the first half, we penalties. Like our penalties, the timing of our penalties were just critical, you know, and, and just kind of killing drives and taking us out of our play calling. And, and you know, um, we, we were confident we could, it would be a great game and that we could win it based on last year. You know, like we're better than last year, you know, and, and uh, uh, you have some clean, obviously clean some things up, but like when you play a team like that, that, that you know, it exposes your weaknesses going into umpire play, and that's what you want to have. You know, that's what you want to be able to have. And, I mean, it was a heck of a game, and just the class their kids had in the game, as well as ones to take your breath away, you know, on both sides of the ball. Crazy. Keith, so much to talk about in this game that, uh, first of all, there's about 10 minutes of audio that uh, we didn't use from uh, uh, from Adam and Coach Fagiano here, but also just the way the game ended. When you, uh, when you read uh, descriptions of the game that say, uh, final pass of the game was called incomplete by the officials. That's just kind of the red flag right there that uh, things maybe didn't end in the cleanest of ways possible. Yeah, I guess that doesn't uh, doesn't do it complete justice. Ohio Northern had uh, had one shot at the end of the game uh, through a Hail Mary into the end zone. It appeared to be complete. The officials discussed it, determined that, that uh, either it wasn't it wasn't completed or that there'd been a, a hold prior to the catch. And uh, and so uh, it kind of waved it off, but definitely wasn't the cleanest ending for uh, for for Utica. But obviously they uh, they come away with the thirty five the thirty four thirty victory, the huge comeback from down uh, down thirty to thirteen. They ended up um, you know obviously really thrilled with uh, with the way that game ended. But I imagine Hearts had to be beating uh, for a few minutes there or for a few seconds at least because you know you have this wonderful comeback and then you see the hail mary in the end zone and uh, you know you can't tell if it's uh, it's completed or not. Big boost of momentum for the Pioneers heading into the Empire 8 schedule. Um, let's move to, uh, that was very much uh, on the beaten path. I think we've talked about that game in every segment basically so far. So let's talk about some stuff we haven't talked about. Um, and I'm going off the beaten path to talk about Mount Union, which might be the first time I've done that. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm going there because I want to talk about the best receiver named Malik in the Mount Union-North Carolina Wesleyan game. And if you remember us talking about Malik Presley, that's the wide receiver who transferred from FDU Florham to Mount Union. Well, he didn't play on Saturday. Then again, neither did senior quarterback Nick Payakoff. And the Purple Raiders got off to a slow start at North Carolina Wesleyan with three freshman quarterbacks. But eventually they rolled on and and got a Mount Union-style 45-10 win. 
But I want to talk about the other Malik, uh, and I didn't really get a chance to talk about the Battling Bishops wide receiver. That's Malik Adams after I saw him last week against Stevenson. But he won a few of those battles versus Stevenson, and he finished with 11 catches for 113 yards versus Mount Union as well. When I uh, when we were looking at uh, preseason All-Americans, Keith, I didn't really know what to make of him. Put him on the preseason All-American team anyway, and, and, I, and I'm not upset with that decision. No, well, he's, he... You know, justified it uh, on on Saturday with the eleven catch day. Although you know teams are often trailing against Mountain Union, and so it's it's uh, a little bit difficult to determine sometimes uh, how to how to interpret those numbers. I'm going to bend the rules of off the beaten path as well because the one time Merchant Marine and Coast Guard are uh, are on the beaten path uh, from a national perspective is the Secretary's Cup game, which was this past Saturday, and uh, it just featured you know besides all the pageantry and the, the great scenery that that anyone who who gets a chance to see that game uh, you know would always appreciate. It just featured a cool story as uh, junior quarterback Robert Moore converted running back, ran for more than 200 yards out of the old triple option for Merchant Marine, and uh, and Merchant Marine defeated uh, its rival on a beautiful day along the Thames River. Did they say a Thames or Thames in, in Connecticut? Or or Thames, because isn't that sort of the, a, in, the real London, old London? I that's don't know. what I, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's the, the Thames in Connecticut. But in any, any case, the river's beautiful. Uh, New London is the proper pronunciation. Uh, of the city in Connecticut. <laughs> yes, I think so, uh, Wiley, yes. <laughs> Wiley Martin contributed uh, 101 yards rushing, uh, as well as the uh, 203 from Robert Moore. And Merchant Marine finished with 411 rushing yards, which uh, surpassed by more than 100 yards Coast Guard's total out- offensive output. Yet the Bears' defense held Merchant Marine to a field goal attempt on a late drive deep uh, into... into uh, into Coast Guard territory. So uh, it was 28-27. They made it 31-27 at that point. And uh, they got the ball back and put the game in quarterback Derek Victory's hands. Another great D3 name, by the way. Uh, but no victory ensued. And, uh, and Merchant Marine was able to hang on 31-27-1 on Coast Guard's field. Look, I mean, this is just one of our, our favorite uh, rivalries in in D three, you know, not for the same reason as uh, some of the super competitive um, playoff implication rivalries. This one is just, uh, you know, it's just kind of sort of the, the 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 spectacle of it, the fact that this is what these two teams, uh, you know, play for. And uh, let's see, why don't we have uh, Robert Moore talk about the uh, awesomeness of this li- rivalry as well? He spoke with our friends Frank Rossi and James Baker at In the Huddle, the Liberty League podcast about this matchup you spend all offseason training for the coast guard game that's our big game everyone wants to win it you're going to be dealing with the coast guard and everyone that went to that academy for the rest of your lives in the maritime industry and it really holds a good bragging right if you can get a w and i'm glad that we were able to pull one off yesterday but just being in that atmosphere with your students and their students and all that you do for the country it it's nice. I mean, everybody's rocking and rolling. Uh, coaches are amped up. Fans are amped up. The players are amped up. And it's just a great atmosphere to be in. Meantime, the week's other rivalry game was ugly as Coe beat Cornell 63-6. That was uh, it's like they laid a bronze turkey in that one. No, that's not the right one. Oh, okay. Sorry. That, that's what you keep posting in the Slack channel every time I talk about Monmouth uh, this week. So, 
Yeah, no, I know. That's not true. Anyway, let's move on. Most surprising results. Uh, I might have to go with something that you mentioned earlier. Uh, I just uh, Benedictine beating St. Norbert 34-14 on Saturday. Um, that is a surprise. That's a result that Adam Turr is going to have to contend with in a few weeks when he does the next uh, Around the Nation Conference ranking. And I'm sure that's one you and I will be discussing again next August. But that is a huge win for the Northern Athletics Collegiate Conference, especially as long as St. Norbert remains one of the Midwest Conference's top teams. Ryan Sample, a quarterback, looked really good for the Eagles. He was 24 of 38 passing for 372 yards and four touchdowns in the win. My most surprising result is uh, is Bethel blowing a 28-12 lead, coming back, uh, falling behind to Carthage, tying the game, and then missing the game-winning point after, and then losing in overtime to Carthage. Um, the Redmen had drives of 12 plays, 89 yards, and then 17 plays and 81 yards in the fourth quarter to take the lead with just more than a minute left. And then Bethel drove the field, burning two timeouts on a fourth and three play that it barely converted. And, and Carthage actually burned a timeout in between that. So at, if you're watching this game live, three timeouts simultaneously, and then Bethel gets like three and a half yards on this uh, fourth and three, just enough to keep the drive going. And then uh, Bridgeport Tussler pretty much does the rest of the work, uh, gets all the way down, uh, scores the, the tying touchdown for Bethel, and uh, all they have to do is, is nail the PAT. But Bethel, uh, it's not the first time we've ever mentioned kicking issues uh, for for the Royals on uh, on this podcast, and it probably won't be the last. They missed a game winning point after they go into overtime. Carthage wins it, forty to thirty four. And the big surprise is not so much just this particular loss, um, but it, it's really the Royals who have backslid from twelve wins in two thousand thirteen to seven to five. They don't seem to be getting it back on track this year, and that's frankly a bit stunning. They uh, they have the same coaching staff. They seem to still have uh, good playmakers. And uh, and and they're you know they they just are a program that can't afford to lose games in, in the non-conference part of their schedule because the Mayak slate is always so tough. Two two things about that. Uh, two things. Two things I think about that, or if you prefer, two things. Uh, one, when uh, we got uh, CCIW predictions for kickoff, I did a double take at what we predicted Carthage to finish this season. I think it might have been seven and three, but don't hold me to that. Um, and uh, you know they're they're looking like that's not uh, at all impossible. Second thing is uh, that extra point missed, extra point tipped, extra point. I I got a uh, a play of the week nomination from Carthage that uh, suggested that this play uh, was tipped. Um, you know we included it in the uh, in the highlight package. It's there in the reel. You guys can take a look at it yourself. I didn't really see a lot of contact, and when I uh, emailed back for follow-up asking who had blocked it or who had deflected it, uh, I didn't get an answer. So uh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, whether it was kicking woes or, or uh, helped, it doesn't matter. It, Keith's absolutely right about the, uh, the history of late. So I'm going to move on to stat of the week. And uh, my stat of the week comes from the W&J Grove City game. Uh, clearly, of course, two teams that are at opposite ends of the PAC right now, so it needs to be taken with a grain of salt a little bit. But W&J scoring 30 points in the first quarter, actually 30 points in the first 9.05 of the game. It's uh, Pete Coughlin once again, quarterback for the Presidents. He threw seven touchdown passes in the first half, going 12 for 16 passing, throwing for 337 yards. And generally, W&J got an easy tune-up going into the Thomas Moore game next week. Whether it was too easy is yet to be determined. Yeah, because it was against Grove City, which has been struggling lately uh, in the PAC, I admit I was initially just mildly impressed with Coughlin having a seven-touchdown 
past day uh, for, for W&J until I found out those were all thrown in the first half. Um, you know, so since you snagged Coughlin, he attempted only 16 passes, completed 12, seven of them for touchdowns. Since you snagged that for your stat, I did. Uh, I'll take a, a kind of a more random one. Uh, it's pretty, there's, there are a few numbers that are just hard to score in football, and uh, Finlandia finished with, uh, with five points. I saw that. <laughs> on Saturday in a loss to Lawrence. Uh, that, that, you don't see that very often. 14 to 5 the score in that game and I'm not sure if someone came out of the bullpen for the three inning save in that one I knew you're coming with the baseball joke I every always, time I always do I always do uh, before we get to the two minute drill it uh, looks like we had a pretty good week on quick hits uh, I'm going to run down the hits um, and then we'll hit on the misses too but uh, first of all any of us uh, would have seen a meaningful game at our preferred D3 stadium of the week although my selected game it wasn't that exciting as Gallaudet handled Earlham and extended D3's longest losing streak to 25 games uh, let's see we had two people of course pick Ohio Northern to get upset if you've just tuned in now 33 minutes into the podcast go listen to the previous 33 minutes and you'll hear a lot about that game uh, I don't know how you would tune in 33 minutes into a podcast anyway uh, let's see, four people picked a team that had a week one bye and lost in week two, including our guest panelist, Greg Thomas, who took Wartburg. Uh, the book is still out on which conference game will be meaningful on Selection Sunday, and uh, five of the six of us picked a team that went 0-2. Even if Texas Lutheran losing this week was not a surprise, still kudos to Ryan Tips, because that's a pretty ballsy pick for uh, St. Norbert going 0-2. And yeah, I decided we could say ballsy on this podcast. Yeah, you know, it's uh, you know not a, not a family podcast, right? There's no kids listen to it. Um, Worst predictions from quick hits because you know whenever we pat ourselves on the back, we also have to be accountable for the for the swings and misses. Well, you know, Pat, you predicted Wesley would lose, and they most <laughs> decidedly did not lose as the Wolverines beat up Frost, Frostburg State forty three to seven. You also thought Merchant Marine would have wished it had a week one game. Yeah, oh, it's at least possible they wish they played in week one. Uh, although I admit they won, it probably didn't matter. Yeah, sort of clever wording of the question. Uh, we had a lot of hits this week and not many misses, helped along by the fact that we had two questions that uh, couldn't easily be evaluated. I mean, should people care about Franklin and Butler? Well, who's to say? All right, we're going to wrap up the podcast with another two-minute drill. Your two-minute drill begins now. And uh, on Saturday, I'm stuck in a workshop all day without a laptop, nonetheless reminded how easy it is to follow D3 these days with just a smartphone. And since we have a small number of schools who still won't post scores to the network, I was spending most of my downtime culling scores from Twitter and switching over to the browser to pop them into the website. So please help us out, American Southwest Conference schools and Midwest Conference schools, for starters. We would love to have those scores and not have to chase them down. You know, I'm amazed that... 355 yards is the Christopher Newport school record for passing. Uh, KJ Kearney hit that this week in a big win over Hampton Sydney. Also had a couple rushing touchdowns. Oh, so that's a, a good day. It's a great day. Um, and, and Christopher Newport, they've only been uh, a football program for 15 years. But it just seems like in this day and age, 355 is, is not a school record number. I mean, Pete Coughlin practically doubled that on Saturday. I just have to drop in this meaningless East Texas Baptist result into this podcast somewhere. ETBU over SAGU 85-23, and you still can't make me care about a non-Division three team. Hey, I'm always referring to Southwest Assemblies of God as SWAG. That's the much better ac- acronym than, than SAGU. Uh, Randolph-Macon, 
95 to 10 in their first two games, both wins uh, over Dickinson and Averett. They could start 3 and 0 by beating Methodist next week and still not really give us any insight into how they'll play against ODAC teams. From Keith's alma mater to mine, one of the things that I agonize over every year in kickoff is what our predicted record is for Catholic, my alma mater. And people remind me I never really do them any favors. But this year, uh, I ended up with 3 and 7, 0 oh and 7 in the, in the ODAC with Rochester this week and Coast Guard next week is the biggest toss ups. Cardinals beat Rochester on Saturday to go to 2-0, and and I'm at least partially vindicated so far. This is one of these peculiar things that pops out when you look at the standings page. The entire SCIAC, the Southern California Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, they're all 0-1 except for Claremont Mudscripts, uh, which I believe was our preseason pick and kickoff. They were a 35-3 winner over Lewis and Clark. And Keith, you did a good job ramping all the way down to the uh, end of... The uh, lightning, not lightning round, because that's not what we call it anymore, Patrick. It's like you just heard him say, our two-minute drill begins. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's wrapping up what we're talking about for this week. But, Keith, uh, there's some great stuff coming up next week. I already mentioned that I'm headed to uh, Mary Harden Baylor. Uh, we already mentioned the Thomas Moore W&J game, but I'm sure either of us wouldn't mind taking a trip to Hawaii for a Division Three football game. Yeah, Pacific and Occidental are going to meet. Uh, on uh, on the Big Island, I believe, and uh, that's pretty fertile recruiting ground for for D three schools uh, along the uh, along the West Coast. You definitely see uh, Hawaiian players on Linfield uh, Pacific, obviously not far from there, and and not a lot of the Skyac schools as well. So it's uh, it's a great trip, a great experience, I imagine, but also uh, a little nod to uh, to how well those two those schools recruit. Absolutely. Um... You know, as you look at some other games that are that are coming up this week, uh, Illinois Wesleyan's gotten off to a pretty good start. They uh, won a game that wasn't a game. They beat a, a team from Mexico, and then they beat uh, Nebraska Wesleyan on Saturday. They host North Central coming up. Uh, Moravian, if they're bouncing back, is true. Uh, we'll see it against Johns Hopkins on Saturday. Um, let's see. Allegheny plays Wabash in a game that wouldn't be notable except for... Uh, Allegheny's coaches former Wabash coordinator, and uh, that's B.J. Hammer. Uh, St. John Fisher versus Cortland. Uh, that's a, a battle of two top 25 teams, and that's a, you know, one of 17 games that will help decide the Empire 8. Yeah, we, and we really need those when we're, uh, when we're ranking teams uh, this early in the season. We need, we need some clarity in these conferences where you know, any of seven teams could, could win it. If you're still playing the 2014 or 2013 Around the Nation podcast drinking game, yes, he just said clarity, which I think is the first time this year. Hey, and you made up a, a couple word and botched some things, so that's that's <laughs> an all-time podcast uh, drink reason to drink, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, let's see. How about this? Uh, Wesley versus Christopher Newport. One of these teams is undefeated, and it's not the one we would have thought. No, but if, if uh, Christopher Newport's 2-0 and start is uh, is is serious if we are to take them seriously beyond uh, just beating Hampton Sydney. You know, a strong performance against Wesley, if not a win, would be necessary. A couple of games that will uh, at least provide elimination for teams uh, hoping to challenge Mount Union this year in the OAC. Ohio Northern is at Heidelberg, and then we have the uh, Cleveland area rivalry with Baldwin Wallace going to John Carroll. Yeah, in in short. Uh, unless you still have more more games next week to mention, week three is going to be a much more exciting week than uh, than week two was. Not that it wasn't exciting, but uh, but a lot of big clashes on tap. 
Uh, indeed. Uh, that's uh, that's a really quick look around it. Uh, uh, there will be, uh, of course, lots of other coverage throughout the week. Uh, if you're really looking for stuff that's coming up this next week, I would suggest reading our Around the Region uh, columns because each of them picks a game of the week at the end, and that'll give you another idea of what else is going on. Uh, you will also have, of course, throughout the course of this week, uh, the play of the week now comes out on Monday afternoon instead of Tuesday <clears throat> afternoon slash morning. Um, so uh, keep an eye out for that. If you've been voting on Twitter each of the last two Sunday nights, uh, thank you. If you haven't been, uh, you know, we've taken a page from the uh, Gallardi Trophy handbook or playbook and uh, given one of our play of the week ballots to the fans each week. We've uh, put a, a, a vote out there on Twitter. So watch for it in the evenings on Sunday. And we do tabulate that into our voting so keep an eye out for that and of course uh let's see uh, you if you uh if you missed snap judgments from adam turr on sunday they'll still be on the front page of the website for a couple of days or so and then adam will be back with his uh, regular weekly column on thursday and uh, this was the around the nation podcast number 153 for the week of september 12 2016 Thanks for listening and tune in for the rest of our coverage throughout the week. If you like our podcast, please consider rating it. Uh, that will help other football fans find it. And I did check our ratings, at least in uh, iTunes, uh, this past week. And thank you for all of those uh, wonderful positive ratings and a handful of reviews as well. And thanks for following Division Three Football on D3Football.com. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Thanks to our guest, Blaze Fagiano, and to Around the Nation columnist Adam Turr for procuring the audio for this edition of the show. And, of course, to the originer. Originer. I just made up another word there. I'm reading the disclaimer, and I made up originator of Around the Nation. The originer. <laughs> You need a uh, you need an origin story for being the original. Actually, I don't know how that works. You do have an origin story. I'll, I'll tell it during the uh, uh, I'll tell it after the music. Uh, anyway, that's my co-host Keith McMillan, who I'm uh, struggling to thank. Catch us every week from now through December 19th and monthly in the off season. And always remember to use the D3FB hashtag on your tweets and Instagram posts, especially on game day. People, people, D3FB hashtag. The Keith McMillan. Originer, originer story, the origin story. I, I know you know it. Well, I just don't know what you're referring to, so oh, I'm, I'm now in suspense. Oh, but yeah, but you'll remember it uh, when I when I tell you. It's uh, it's it's the one where you approached me out of the blue in uh, 1999, offering to tell me two things that I already knew. Oh, see, I potentially remember it differently. I do remember uh, saying that I had a good a good friend of mine from high school was a running back for Rowan, right. and I remember being like, oh, I'm sure I could get you like exclusive access, which you know. Something that you say when you're, I guess, whatever age I was at the time and, and offering to write, but it seems kind of silly now. I don't remember what the second thing was in that email, but there was another thing that I think I knew. Well, in any case, it worked out well, didn't it? We're still here. 153 podcasts and 17-some uh, stag bowls and 100-some uh, columns later.